Hi, this is Carrie Mitchum. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Carrie Genzel, actor, producer, writer, and creator of StateofSlay.com. Slay in this case being an acronym for self love, appreciate you. State of Slay is a blog that I created documenting my journey from the darkness of depression to living in the light today and focusing on the positive. It is a safe place to encourage one another and walk together as we find empowerment and self love. I hope you'll join me on my blog, stateofslay.com, where we walk and slay together. Slay on. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Friends and listeners, this is the creator and host of Hollywood and Beyond podcast, Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening and welcome to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. What makes this episode extra special for me is having one of music industry's most phenomenal singers and a tremendously talented lady as my guest today. Anita Pointer, who along with her equally as talented sisters Ruth, June, and at one time her sister Bonnie, Mm -hmm. helped create one of the music's most dynamic and iconic female groups of all time, the Pointer Sisters. (laughs) These ladies cannot be categorized in only one genre. Pop, disco, jazz, blues, soul, funk... Rock and R&B are the areas they touched with their music, even leaving their collective mark on country music in their earlier days, resulting in a Grammy win and a performance at the Grand Old Opry. Anita is here today to discuss her new book, co-written with her brother, Professor of African History and Literature, Fritz Pointer, titled Fairy Tale. The Pointer Sisters' Family History, resulting in an intimate portrait of the legendary Grammy-winning group. This is going to be a big-time special book, folks. 
from her early days growing up in Oakland, California, in a house of 15, <laughs> to her discovery of music, which led on to her being a part of a female group that has surpassed 50 years of excellence. The hits seem endless. The sultry fire scene and the dreamy slow hit. I'm riding in your car. You turn on the radio. You're pulling me close. I just say no. I say I don't like it. But you know I'm a liar. When we kiss Ooh, fire and wildly mesmerizing hits such as Jump, For My Love, the hit single from the film Beverly Hills Cop, the pulsating neutron dance. so excited. It's clear that Anita and her sisters are a part of music history and their contributions as artists. And if we're still playing around, boy, that's just fine. Let's get excited. We just can't hide it. No, no, no. I'm about to lose control and I think I like it. I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. artistic journey, the personal journey, both includes triumph and loss, perseverance and lessons learned along the way. And in the book Fairy Tale, no doubt the story of the Pointer Sisters and my guest Anita will be more than worth reading.
It is my utmost pleasure and honor to welcome the beautiful Anita Pointer to the show. <laughs> Anita Pointer, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you so much, Steve. It's my pleasure to talk with you today. Wow, it's so nice to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very grateful to have this wonderful opportunity. Oh, me too. This is so great. Thank you. Well, Anita, please describe your book to the listeners. You would be the best person, after all, to describe the book. <laughs> it's a history lesson. It's, it talks about the Pointer Sisters and how we got started. It's really great for young girls who think that it just happens overnight, because it doesn't. You know, we did paid a lot of dues and getting stranded in Texas and Houston. This was before Beyonce was born. <laughs> 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 gotcha. But we, but we had you know singing with Sylvester in San Francisco and working with the, the Cockettes and Pristine Condition and you know it was just the list goes on and on. Dave Mason, uh, Elvin Bishop, Taj Mahal, Grace Slick, Tower of Power. I mean, we had such a great time in San Francisco as backup singers before we ever got a record deal. As backup singers, wow. Yes, we were the backup singers of the West. <laughs> <laughs> and good ones, too. <laughs> good ones, we tore it up. Oh, my God, it was so good. I mean, really, we were good singers, backup singers, but sometimes the leads would have to tell us, stop upstaging the star. <laughs> <laughs> that talent was shining through already, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> That was hard to do, to hold it back. They were know? probably like, hey, you, can get your, some... you guys can get your own group. Don't forget your other oh, backups I'm, here. <laughs> I'm telling you, we finally did it, and I'm so happy, you know, that things worked out the way they did. Well, We had our ups well. and downs, but we had a lot of wonderful, wonderful times. Well, I love the title of the book, Fairy Tale. Thank There's you. something That's I just really like. My, our first gra Grammy Award winning song that me and my sister Bonnie wrote. We wrote a song called Fairy Tale, and we took it to David Rubinson, and he was just thrilled. Our guitar, I mean, our drummer at the time, Gaylord Birch, he walked out of the rehearsal. He said, I am not into country music. <laughs> and he walked out. Oh, my. But when huh. the song became a hit, he came back. <laughs> he came back. But Fairy Tale is very uh, personal to me. You know, I, I, um, it's a song that I wrote about a love affair that I was at. I was in, and you know, in those days in San Francisco, and and I meant it. I'll pack up all my things and walk away, and that's what I did. Wow. But uh, the book it just tells a wonderful story about black women growing up in Oakland, and you know, even our travels through the South with my mom and dad, where they were from, and you know, it's just it's just incredible what we went through and how wonderful things turned out. Well, I can't wait to read the book. I really can't. Thank you. So when did the idea, though, uh, 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 come to you that, hey, you know, I would like to write a book about our journey as, as, as both people and artists? Was there a, a certain time that you realized that, you know, I, I want to tell a, our story? Yeah, I mean, we're getting up in age, and I thought, you know, we've done a lot of living, and why not share it with some, you know, young, inspired artist that wants to do the same thing or wants to, uh, you know, do something similar? And it's, it's so different now. They wouldn't do what we did. We didn't have social media. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do it the hard way. We had way. to walk around San Francisco <laughs> and pass our pictures out. And we we did everything we could think of. We were on the trolley car so much in San Francisco until we started getting free rides. <laughs> they would just feel sorry for us because we didn't have a car, you know, and working at Keystone Corners with Elvin Bishop. Oh, my God, those were some fun days, really fun days. And I thought the story, I mean, it was so beautiful, so colorful. Us In San Francisco, we would live near the Haight-Ashbury on Golf Street. And we just, you know, my mother and her church friends used to come over and we'd take them sightseeing over on hate in the hate because it was so crazy over there. People walking around naked and oh you know, my. doing all kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, hate Ashbury, San Francisco. <laughs> yes. Back in the sixties. It was amazing. It really was, you know, and people were free love and, you know, marijuana <laughs> with seeds. <laughs> A little bit of everything was going on, it sounds like. A little bit of everything, but you know, our parents were so 
so wonderful and just so... Matter of fact, today is my dad's birthday. Oh, is it? Today is my dad, Reverend Elton Pointer. He will be 119 years old today. Well, happy birthday to your dad in remembrance. Yes. I I wish I could talk to him today. He, He was such a wonderful father, and he lived what he preached. He really taught us well how to love, how to treat people as you'd want to be treated, you know, and just basic things that every child should learn. My daddy let us know, you know, and I love him so much, miss him so much. And your folks were church-going folks, is that correct? Oh, yeah. My mom and dad were ministers, and um, I I thought it was a torture treatment (laughs) as a kid. (laughs) We had so much church, that's all we could do. Because we weren't allowed to listen to music in the house, except on Sundays, Daddy would bring the, the radio out, and we could listen to the gospel music. That's all we ever got growing up. Was just gospel music. And just gospel. We couldn't, other times, Daddy was only one radio, and he took it in his room, and you better not touch it, because that's his radio, and he'll bring it out on Sunday, and we all would be happy to hear the caravans and... You know, Andre Crouch and all that, you know, it's just great. But I love gospel music, too. That's my first love, of course. But uh, Mom and Dad were very, very strict. We never could go to movies. Our first movie that I remember was uh, The Ten Commandments, and the whole family went. That was the first one. Yeah, that was the first movie I ever saw. Wow. And um, That had to be an exciting experience for you, to to be at the movies and, (laughs) and, and see that on the big screen. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I was so thrilled to get to go to the movies, and oh God, because we couldn't go. It was not in the religion. Well, did that ever change, though? As far as were they, did they become more lenient as time went on? Church has become a lot more lenient, you know, through the years. All of them. Um, I don't attend the church anymore, but I'm sure they have. And when you see Kirk Franklin and you know Tremaine Hawkins and. Oh, all these wonderful, beautiful singers. But, you know, I think they've become a lot more lenient. You know, now they they be rocking it in church. <laughs> they be rocking it out. Did you and your sisters perform in church and sing? We did. Yes, we did. Oh, wow. We were the Little Pointer oh, wow. Sisters. We sang uh, The Blood was our favorite song that we always sang. <laughs> the blood. That, that, that's a song written by Andre Crouch, who we really, really loved and, until he passed. But yeah, we sang in church. We sang as little kids. We were the little soldiers, and we'd march around the church in these little white tunics with little red bows in the front. And then we, of course, joined the choir as we got older. And then the, me and my sisters would sing at church as a group. And there was fifteen of you in one house. Yes, it wow. was unbelievable. Because we had, like, it was like a two-story. I mean, downstairs was really not an apartment, but my uncle and my dad, and then they made it into an apartment. And um, the bathroom was even outside, under the steps, which was really weird. But my uncle, his wife, and our grandmother, and their three kids lived downstairs. And then my mom and dad, my grandfather, and the six kids lived upstairs. And we had so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) We had a great place in Oakland that had a big backyard with fruit trees. I mean, all kind of fruit. We had grapevines. And then we had a beautiful ping pong table on the backyard that our brothers always played. We didn't play very much because they would always dominate the table. (laughs) But um, it was just a fun growing. And we lived across the street from a park, Defirmary Park. So that was like our babysitter. We come home from school. Go to the park. <laughs> go and play tetherball. That was my favorite thing, tetherball. Oh, my God. And there was a center there where you could go in and sh- the older guys would go in and shoot pool, and you could go in the, to the reading room, and they had classes there at the, at the park where you could uh, learn to cook, cooking classes, sewing classes, charm classes where girls learned how to walk and with the books on the head, and we did all that. Oh, my God. It was such a great growing up in Oakland, and, and Oakland was chosen as a model city for the United States is what I heard, because there were so many job opportunities after that, I guess after World War II and, and the Vietnam War as well. But there were just, those jobs were just always plentiful. That's why I see what's going on now, and it just blows my mind. I mean, I, 
I would I would change jobs even if I didn't like the wallpaper in the office or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'd just go get another job. But that's how easy it was. Wow. They were wow. just all over. You could always get a job. I don't understand this. This you know the way society is now. Oh my goodness! I never dreamed. I never dreamed I'd see the day where. I mean, now with this virus going around, it's oh, unbelievable. It's just unbelievable that this is happening in the world, not just the United States, but in the world. And such a challenging time for all of us. It really is. So, but I have to tell you what, uh, speaking with you today is a, just about the best medicine I could ask for right now. Oh, thank you, Steve. That's so sweet. <laughs> I'm glad to talk to you, too. I swear, I've been having so much fun. Me and Bonnie just wrote a new song, too. Oh, really? And it's called... Yeah, it's called Feels Like June. Oh. And it's a song, it's a tribute to our sister June. Very nice. And you could get it on, I think, Spotify and YouTube. Just say Feels Like June by the Pointer Sisters. I'm going to go look that Anita up when Bonnie we're Pointer. Yeah, by Anita and Bonnie Pointer, a tribute to June Pointer. And Steve Diamond, uh, was he, was, he co-wrote the song with us. He did the track, and he also produced it and he is just so fabulous oh my god i love working with steve and his wife was the executive producer her name is terry diamond and she was the head of a and r when i did my solo project at rca and we got we became friends then this back in the 80s and we've remained friends all these years she moved to nashville after the last earthquake here in la <laughs> <laughs> But we keep in touch, you know, and it's been such a great time working with her and Steve. They came over, and we, we recorded right here at my little studio at the house, and uh, then he took it back to Nashville and did added some instruments and mixed it and did everything, and it's beautiful. The song is so wonderful, and, and Bonnie told me to tell you hi, too. <laughs> Well, that uh, really uh, warms up my heart. Yes, she did. Please tell her I appreciate I that. I will. I, I just can't tell you, Anita. And I, I just, I mean every word of this in the sincerest of ways. I just have so much uh, admiration for all of you ladies. Oh, thank you. And, and thank to be quite you honest, you have that. really inspired me. Uh, uh, just oh. learning what I've learned about you, I, I think about how hard all of you worked, how you had mm -hmm. to keep going through the hard times, and oh, I, just, I, I just have to tell you, I really can't think of another female group as groundbreaking as yours. I think you helped oh. pave the way for, for other female groups uh, along yes, the we way. we did. I really believe that, too, and I'm proud to have done that. You know, when we did things like be the, <clears throat> the first black female group to play the Grand Ole Opry. Yes. Being the first black female group to ever play the San Francisco Opera House. Oh, wow. I mean, all these, these their door, they're knocking down walls, you know, <laughs> where they, now it won't be so hard for these other kids to get in there. And I'm glad to have done that. Just like the others, you know, Sarah Vaughan and, and Ella Fitzgerald, all of them paved the way for us. And what was the reaction you know? of of singing country music. Of course, this was in the very early days, but I'm just thinking yeah. about that time period and what what was the reaction? Obviously, you got recognized for your accomplishments, yeah. but was there we other did. reactions uh, that maybe wasn't so positive? Oh, yeah. When we got there, when we got to Nashville and got to the Grand Ole Opry, there were picketers outside saying, keep country music country. And we knew what that meant, oh, keep my. country music white. <laughs> oh boy. Well, we made it on past those picket signs, and we went on in. We were the only <laughs> black people in the building, and we sang the song, Fairy Tale. And um, well, actually, first we walked on stage, and a gentleman stood up in the audience and said, Hot damn, them gals is black. He screamed that from the back of the room. Oh, my. And everyone just kind of froze, but then he said, Our song started. We just started singing. We just kept on going. <laughs> And he loved, everybody loved us. <laughs> they loved us. They asked, we had to sing the song like three times. They kept giving us ovations, just clapping, clapping, clapping. We had to go back and sing it again. It was amazing. It really was. I'm just sad that we didn't have any social media back then and nobody really knew about it. And they didn't promote us at all. You know, we were the first black group to ever get a Grammy Award for a country song. They didn't say nothing in the news. People Magazine, nowhere. I mean, I, I'm like, come on, help us out here a little bit. <laughs> uh, show some love. I mean, know. 
Come yeah. on. And you know that I have to tell you, Nina, that just uh, it's just so upsetting and uh, that that was even the situation. But I have to say once again just how much I admire the way that you ladies just kept on going, kept doing your thing mm-hmm. and you won people over when they finally sat down and listened with your singing. Yes, I'm telling you, we had such great audiences and you know what people can when once this whole virus thing is over, you can go to the Hollywood Museum in Hollywood and see an exhibit that me, my daughter Roxy and her friend Alvin and Chaz and JT they worked so hard to put this whole exhibit together for me as stuff that I've collected since the 70s of the Pointer Sisters, our wardrobe, our jewelry, our shoes, our music, our pictures, all, all on display. Donnell Danigan, who owns the Hollywood Museum, she became a friend of mine. I met her at an Oscar party, and she's just the sweetest woman in the world, and she gave me the whole second floor of the museum. She came first over to see what I had, and she said, oh, my God, she was amazed. <laughs> the whole second floor. The what an honor. Floor. And it's so beautiful. you got to go see it, Steve. It's really beautiful. I will. You know, well, when I get back to California, what we, I'm go- that's going to be one of the first things I do. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that was, that's a really wonderful exhibit. It really is. I'm so proud of it. But it's just so sad now because we were planning some events. No, and now nobody can go it. see it. It's just we uh, can't go. <laughs> well, when it opens again, I can't leave home. Oh God! Well, Anita, I was wondering. Uh-huh. I had read that you went to stay with your grandmother for a few years. Mm-hmm. I sure did. And what was that experience I... like for you? Ooh, it was some experience. It really was. The first year, I was in the fifth grade. And I was just amazed at how the kids lived down there. The first time I went, they were these friends down the street that went to my mom's, my grandma's church. They, they didn't have any running water in their house. The faucet was outside in the backyard. They didn't have a, a sink. They didn't have a toilet. They, everything was outside. And oh, it was like, to me, it was an adventure. So I would go and help them do their laundry. They would make their own soap, lye soap. And you have a scrub, big bucket out in the backyard. There'd be like three buckets, one for washing, one, and then a double rinse. Each one you go, and then you go to the next one. Oh, God, it was such an... I couldn't believe how people were living. And all the roads on the black side of town in Prescott, Arkansas, where my grandma lived, all the roads on the black side of town were gravel. And all the roads on the white side of town were paved. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So their tax dollars didn't do much good at, at Arkansas. I guess not. Uh, but the kids were so used to it, they would run barefoot on the gravel because the kids back there were so poor. Yeah. I can remember in Oakland, my mom used to always get together things, you know, from Christmas and send them packages to Arkansas for the kids that needed it that didn't have a Christmas. And I couldn't believe it. There were people more poor than we were. Hmm. But when I got to Arkansas and I saw how they were living, I mean, rats in the house. It was just unbelievable. I'm telling you, it was so unbelievable how the people lived there. And the kids only got shoes in the wintertime because they went to school barefoot in the summertime. It was just unreal, you know. And this was 1950-something in the 50s. That's amazing. And I went back, and, and the next year I went back in the seventh grade, and Bonnie was with me. And me and Bonnie had a time. We, we had a lot of fun. And then it got, the summer was almost over, and we, got to, uh, we went to school, started school in September. And then in October, it was Halloween, and my grandmother told us, Halloween in Prescott is not the same as Halloween in Oakland. And you guys be back here before dark. And, I mean, the kids did so many crazy things in Arkansas. They, they uh, blocked streets with trees. They cut down trees and put them all in the middle of the street. I mean, they did just oh crazy goodness. stuff. But we were out trick-or-treating, me and Bonnie, and a truck pulled up. We had a few other kids with us. A truck pulled up, and guys jumped out with crowbars and chains and told us they're going to kill some niggas tonight. They ran us all over town. I don't know how I ended up on the total opposite side of town, away from the house, away from Bonnie. We were separated, and it, I needed therapy after that. I mean, I, I'm in therapy now. 
Oh, my. But God knows I needed it then. You, you know, needed I it then. <laughs> oh, I needed it so bad. I couldn't stand to hear a car horn blow. I was just, oh. uh, I, was, I was messed up. I really was because I thought I was going to die. And then they chased me, and I got hung on a barbed wire fence way away from home. And I, I don't know how I got there. And the guys caught me and gave me a bag of candy. After all that torture, they gave me a bag of candy. <laughs> Got a bag of candy for that. Oh. Yes. They were after the big boys. We're not after you kids. We're girls. We're after the big boys. Oh, my God. Threatening us, chasing us all over town, blowing the horns and all that. And then I went back again in the 10th grade. I went to Arkansas in the 10th grade by myself, and I had a wonderful time there. Joined the band. I played an alto saxophone. I was oh, in the parade. Wow. Yeah, I was in the parade that they have every year, and oh, it was just so much fun. It really was. I enjoyed Arkansas. I really did. It's just the ruralness of it, you know. It was so, my grandfather had a strawberry patch and a plum orchard, and I'd just eat so much fruit. Mm-hmm. My lips that sounds good. Inside out. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really, really nice. I learned how to drive. My grandfather taught me to drive, and I had a driver's license. Actually, it was a driving permit. At 12 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I drive around town, taking, but I was mostly taking my grandmother places because she didn't know how to drive. And my grandfather, he had an ulcer, so he was sick off and on, and I would, you know, help with him. But he taught me to drive, and that was a wonderful, wonderful, fun thing, and I've been driving ever since. <laughs> well, was that the norm back in those days, to, to get a license so early? Yeah, they, they was a lot of, I think that happened a lot in the south and the country kind of places because I kids see. drove tractors and, you know, farm equipment and stuff. Sure. And, and so I got mine because my grandfather was sickly and my grandmother didn't drive and they needed a driver in the house. So I took the test. I passed the test and they gave me a permit to drive. 12 years old. Well, just think of that. Boy, the, all mm-hmm. doing laundry the hard way and... And, and driving <laughs> at a young age and, and dealing with, you know, scary situations like you described. Uh, I'll tell you what, you were experiencing so much. You know, Anita, I didn't experience those type of situations, but I was actually uh, raised by my grandparents. Really? Uh, I didn't even know oh. I was adopted for years. I thought they were my, oh my biological parents. And, and I what? always called my grandmother mom. And uh, wow. she has a special place in my heart, and um, so I wanted to share oh. that with you today, even though it was very different from from your background. Yeah, it was really different in the South than it was on the West in Oakland. I bet. Like going to, I felt like I was in the jungles of South Africa or something <laughs> when I would go to, go to Arkansas. Like a different world, it, was, it sounds like. It's a different world. We had segregated schools. Oh, my. You know, and it was a whole, I mean, the whole thing was just oh so messed up <laughs> i don't even want to get into it uh, i hear you but it was, I, it was I agree with you that, that is was, messed up that is messed yeah, up yeah segregated movie you couldn't go into the door, certain doors at the movies you couldn't go in front of the restaurants you had to go to the back it was just so much that you know you see now in movies well it was real you know anita my daddy had a green book too well that didn't yeah <laughs> that didn't stop he you did, did he it? had a green book the way that 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 you know you you experienced those situations that didn't stop you and 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 that's one reason why I admire you so much and I can't wait to ask you this question. <laughs> I mean, obviously you have a, a gospel background, but was there a moment in time where you started to think of singing as a possible career, or how did that all happen for you? Like, when did you go? You know what? I might actually like to be a singer. Well, I was doing clerical work. I worked at a law office called Matoire and Sweeney in Berkeley. And I went to San Francisco to Fillmore West to see Bonnie and June singing with the Northern California State Youth Choir. They had the big hit out, Oh Happy Day. And they were a duo, is that right? Yeah, they were pointers a pair. Wow, they isn't were doing that something? Shows by themselves, <laughs> and then they got with the choir. And I went over to see the choir sing, and I lost my mind. I cried. I wanted to be on that stage singing with them so bad. The next day, I quit my job. Wow. I quit the job. I've never been fired from any job, like some people say in their books. <laughs> I quit my job, and I started singing with, with the choir with Bonnie and June. And it was such a, oh, God, 
horrifying experience because I didn't, you know, I had a daughter to take care of, and we were just planning for a tour, going to go to uh, the New, a New York to uh, New York engagement with the choir. I see. In the morning, we were supposed to leave. They called us and told us tour's been canceled. Oh my! Yes, the day we were sitting there with our suitcases at the door. You were ready to go. Ready to go. Oh, my. You know, I'm thinking the call is going to be, the call is saying that the bus is on the way because we were going by bus. That bus stopped telling them. I guess we lucked out on not doing that trip. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> From Oakland, New York on a bus. Oh, my God. Oh, that would have, But we had some really great, fun times touring on buses, you know, like the Lionel Richie tour. Woo-hoo. We had so much fun with him. That is something else. A touring on a bus. I mean, he had no choice but to spend some time together. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We were close back then. It wasn't like this social distancing. It was a whole other thing. And we had so much fun. Lionel is a great guy. and. He sure is. I, yeah, I, he really is. You know, when I watch American Idol, I'm like, I just hope those contestants are paying attention because there's a man with experience. Yes, he is, and writes and wrote some of the most beautiful songs ever. Oh, he sure does. Oh, God. He's <laughs> he sure a does. Well, I should tell you, Anita, that I was born in the 70s, but grew up in the 80s, okay? okay. If that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, you ladies were becoming so big in the 80s, and so was Lionel. Yeah. So yeah, you can see how all of you time. had a big influence on me and, and, and just you were a big part of, of my growing up, you know, in the 80s. Oh, thank you. I wanted to ask you, Anita, so uh, do you have memories of your first record label signing? Anything in particular about that? <laughs> oh, God, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, we were singing at the Whiskey A Go-Go in L.A. Yes. And um, Jerry Wexler just happened to be in the audience, and he, we were singing backup for, da- for Elvin Bishop. And Jerry Wexler called our manager, David Rubinson, and said, I want to sign these girls. And he told us about it, and instantly June said, Elvin, we quit. <laughs> we're going on our own now. And I told June, I said, wait, we're not sure about this yet. You know, but June was like ready to go. <laughs> we ended up going to uh, New Orleans. <clears throat> we met Wardell Kazair, the guy who had this song out called Mr. Big Stuff with Gene Knight, and he was her producer, and he was going to produce the Pointer Sisters. And um, we sang a lot of the songs that we had, songs we had written, songs that we got from Taj Mahal and different, you know, and they just laughed in our face. They said, you can't (laughs) sing songs like that. You can now. We even had a country song, and they said, you cannot sing songs like that black girl and not sing that kind of music. Oh, my. They told us that. They said, we got stuff for you that's kind of on the order of the Jackson Pie, the Honeycombs. That's the way you got to sound. <clears throat> and we were just devastated because we didn't want to sound like anybody else. We love them, but we don't want to be them. You want to be you. Yeah, but they, they took us. We went to New Orleans, and we rehearsed there, and they laughed in our face. And they sent us to Jackson, Mississippi. We had, like, one night to learn, like, five songs. And we we did these songs, and they put them out on Atlantic Records. And we went back to San Francisco, and David Rubinson heard that stuff and threw the tape across the room. Oh, my. And he said, I got to get you guys off of this label because this is not what I want you to do. This is not what we're talking about. This is not the kind of music I want for you girls. You are different. You're not, you guys, you know, he loved us, and he saw how we could break the mold. And that's what he said we did. And he got so upset about this Atlantic Records deal, how they were trying to mold us into female Jackson 5. You know, I said, God, you know, they're, they're doing it. We don't need to do it, too. They're, they're doing it really good. And we wanted to do some of the songs we liked, you know, and different stuff, you know. And, and they just wouldn't go for it. But we finally got to David. And um, let's see, was that after Texas or... Yeah that, yeah, that was after Texas, because David got us back from Texas. But he found us a deal with uh, Blue Thumb, which was a jazz label. He was working with them, with Herbie Hancock, who also did some playing on some of our stuff. He's, we love Herbie. And uh, we opened for Herbie at the Troubadour. It was one of our first engagements. 
Yeah, we were his opening act at the Troubadour, and that's when everybody came out and saw us and blew, the whole wonderful. thing blew up. We were in Hollywood for the first time, and, <laughs> oh, and wow. um, Helen Reddy's husband, uh, Jeff Wald, was there, and he came and saw us, and she was doing the Flip Wilson Summer Replacement Show on NBC. So we got a chance to do her show, and after that we got a chance to do Flip Wilson show, and we did Carol Burnett show, and it was just all over the place. We did every TV show we could do, and that was our social media. <laughs> <laughs> Making television appearances. That was your social media. <laughs> exactly. You had to be on TV to reach the masses, you know, like you do with a, a post right now. <laughs> well, I don't know how anybody could not pay attention to you ladies. <laughs> Well, we, we, you know, we really had them captivated for a while there, the, the clothes and all. It was just well, so and you still fun. do to this day. And Is it true that Elvis Presley was very interested in one of your songs? Yes, he recorded one of my songs, a song that I wrote called Fairy Tale. That's a right. A song that me and Bonnie wrote called Fairy Tale. He recorded it, and I have a disc of him singing it live in Vegas. He said, he introduces it when, in the show, and he says, this, story, this song is the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, amazing. That we never got to meet him. Oh, that's unfortunate. We never got to meet him. He passed away, and we were so busy running and going and working. And he, but he did our song, and I was so, so grateful. I thought that was such a plus for our credits and my life legacy, you know, to have someone like that. That's a high honor, isn't it? It is a high honor, you know, and I, I, I thought David had worked to get the song to Elvis, but I found out from talking to David that he said, no, Elvis called and said he heard the song and he wants to sing it. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> if Elvis wants it, me. Look, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame it was never released as a single, really, you know. It's just, you know, they just don't. I don't know. Well, Anita, yeah. you have written a lot of songs. Uh, what yeah. about your sisters? Are they also involved with um, songwriting as well? No, no, not so at all. So you are the one. Uh, yeah, I wrote So Excited, too. Me and Trevor Lawrence wrote that song, and I, I give everybody credits on it, but I know I wrote the song, and she, everybody knows I did. But it's, it's one of our best-selling songs ever. I've oh, written, I have a song on it. almost every Pointer Sister album. I have a song, because I kind of made a point to try to have a song for every album, at least one. Some of them I have more than one. But I tried to at least contribute something, you know, to this project of mine, and I like writing songs, so I tried to have a, a song. Me and Trevor did a lot of songs. Me and Sheldon from Earth, Wind, and Fire, we did a, quite a few songs. Sheldon and Ralph from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Very impressive. And, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Anita, <laughs> you know, Near the end of the song, right? So let's uh -huh. say seventy-five percent of "I'm So Excited" is is completed. I uh -huh. love, and I'm sure you had so much to do with this. If you wrote this song, I love yeah. how the tempo. I'm hope I'm using the right phrase here, but I love how the the tempo shifts, and, uh -huh. and, and how the you know your sisters are singing. How it kind of changes away. Yeah, like, it does. I Maybe love that ending me. part of the song. Yeah, it does. It does oh, change into a whole different tempo. It does. And yeah. Very I creative. So very it well really, done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Well you gotta listen to our new song. Feels like June. Me and Bonnie wrote it. I can't and wait it's to see it. So beautiful. Uh, we wrote all the lyrics. Steve Diamond, our wonderful producer, he wrote he did the music. But it's just a fabulous song and I think it's so great to honor my beautiful little sister that way and I've so, been thinking about her so much, uh, Anita, as I was preparing to speak with you today. Really? And, you know, I, if you don't mind me sharing this with you. No. You know, as I was watching a lot of your music videos, right? Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. the ones from the 80s. Mm -hmm. I have to say, what stands out to me is your presence. All three of you. It's such strong presence oh, uh, very fun enjoyable music videos but let's take the one jump for my love mm -hmm. if you take that it's not just three ladies standing there singing when right. i watch that 
you all did fabulous. But there was something about June in that video. She oh, was just on fire. She was on fire. And every time <laughs> I mean, she sang that song, she was on fire. Oh, my wow. God, a girl could pick her legs so high, it would just blow me away. <laughs> I mean, she worked the camera pretty nicely, didn't she, in that she video? She worked it. I'm telling you. I'm, oh, God, she was so fun. She was so energetic and just so great a dancer. She loved dancing. And she, you know, not to mention her great voice. Oh, God, I miss her. I can, you know, it's hard to do it, anything without her. It is for me. Well, you know, my yeah. heart goes out to you. Because no ma- matter yeah. how many years goes by, it, you know, fortunately the memories stay with you. But that yeah. doesn't mean the missing stops. And, and, and my heart goes That's out to you. True. I never had any brothers or sisters. But, um, you know, what a blessing that you got to do so much with her through music and over the years and accomplished uh-huh. so much with her. And I, I wanted to ask you those music videos, it just mm-hmm. occurred to me, either you ladies just got so lucky to have really good directors or there was something going on that I'm not aware because it just <laughs> seemed like they were just so well put together. And Thank you. is there a reason for that? Were you heavily we involved have some good with directors. Kenny Ortega directed quite a few of our videos. Ah. Incredible. I love Kenny. And, we, you know, he did our stage show for Vegas. He's just wonderful, and he really put it together. The videos were so wonderful. And um, just working with June, you know, all the years that we worked, me and Bonnie and June together, it was, uh, we, we took care of her. She was our little baby sister, you know. I really, really took care of her. And uh, there was a time... I I heard that there was a time where maybe the group was back in the, what, 1976, 1977, where maybe uh, I believe that June and Bonnie decided to take a break. Yeah, Bonnie left first. She had met a producer from Motown and married him and took her out of the group, and she wanted to try a solo career. And then June, when Bonnie and June were very close, and when Bonnie left, June said, I'm leaving too. So they both left. Oh, my. Me and Ruthie were struggling to try to find something. And we met, uh, Forrest Hamilton was introduced to us by this guy that was our co-producer who I lived with, Sonny Burke. He co-produced our last album with David Rubinson, having a party album. And um, he introduced us to Forrest Hamilton, who wanted to manage me and Ruthie. So he took us to WIA and met Steve Wax. And Steve Wax told us that I heard about a new label that's coming up from Richard Perry. The label is called Planet Records, and I want to take you guys over there and see if he's interested in signing you. And so we went to Richard Perry, and we had some songs, you know, that we wanted to play him and an idea of what we wanted to sing. But he told us if we could get June back, you got a deal. <laughs> we went on the hunt. We said, we got to get June back. Oh, my God. And she, we finally convinced her. We finally convinced her to come on back. Let's do this, you know, because uh, we, we had done it with the three of us before. You know, we've, we've done it with me and Bonnie and June, me and Bonnie and June, me and Ruthie and Bonnie, me and June and Ruth. I was never gone. <laughs> <laughs> you were always there. I was always in the mix. <laughs> now, what about changing your image a little bit as the 80s arrived? Was it just the sign of the yeah. times? Were you trying to be uh, fresh and, and, and unique? We did, we did want to be a little bit fresh because everyone saw us, you know, with the nostalgia thing, the, the vintage clothes and, you know, us singing the jazz. And, you know, we, we wanted to be more contemporary. And... We wanted to not have people saying, oh, you know, it looked better when they wore the other. You know, we just wanted to be different. We wanted to change the look and give, give us a little more youthful, energetic feeling to our show. And so that's what we did. We just found some fun things to wear. And, there's, and, <laughs> and they're all at the Hollywood Museum. <laughs> it's all over there. <laughs> yes, yeah, all over there. All the stuff from the 70s, 80s, 90s, from the Carol Burnett show, from Flip Wilson. All that stuff is there. I kept everything I could. And I have a book out, too, called Ever After that my granddaughter, Roxy, and, and Melissa Simpson put together, and you can buy it online. It's a catalog of all the clothes that are in the museum. Oh, that's great. It's fabulous. It's called Ever After. You can get it on anitapointer.com. 
the same place you can get fairy tale, and soon I'll have my black memorabilia book. I'm working on that now. Well, I look forward to that as well. <laughs> okay. Now, when the Neutron Dance became uh-huh. the big hit for the Beverly Hills Cop movie with Ooh, Eddie Murphy, um, uh, oh, how did God. that make you ladies feel? Oh, that made you know. I never realized what a difference a song and a movie would make to your career. <laughs> oh God. Wow. We were so happy. I was so happy. And, you know, we, it just blew us up, really did. Everybody loved that movie, and I loved it, too. And it was just so much fun being in it and being a part of Eddie Murphy's whole thing because I love him. Oh, we had, it was just really an honor to be in that movie. I'm so glad. Even like when we did Car Wash. <laughs> yes, Car Wash, that's right. That was before that. <laughs> yeah, we did Car Wash. That was our first movie. And that was incredible, working with Richard Pryor. We hung out with him. We went to his house. He was so funny and so nice. Oh, my God. We had such a great time with Richard doing the car wash movie. And I'm sure he didn't cuss very much in person, right? <laughs> no. He didn't. Well, I don't know, though. He said a few words. <laughs> he said a few words, let me tell you. Oh, my God. I'll tell you, he was just so funny. I was watching a concert, you know, that's available. It was on Netflix a while back. Uh-huh. And I just have to tell you, Nita, I could almost hardly stand it. He was so funny. I, I just, we worked with we work with him on the road, too. We played, uh, I think it was Cherry Hill, New Jersey, or someplace oh, like that. We played with okay. him. We were his opening act. And he'd come out on stage <laughs> every <laughs> night. He'd say, I love them Pointer Sisters. Don't you guys love them Pointer Sisters? He'd say, yeah, I love them. I really do. But they just won't give me no pussy. Oh, no. That's exactly what he would say every night before we came, after we went off stage. He was so funny. He See, he can get hilarious. away with that. Not many other people can. This is in the early 70s. You know, this is like 75 or something. He was so, oh my God. He was amazing. He was so amazing. I was, you know, just glad that I got a chance to meet him. And Open for Richard Pryor. I, Anita, yeah. I've never heard of that. That That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, we opened for Richard. We sure did. We sure did. And it was incredible. The place was packed every night. They were cheering you on, and I tell you, you you ladies, um, you also just uh, just have such an energetic style of 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 moving around in your music (laughs) videos and and sync and rhythm, and and it's not so much copying each other. You both have your own set of moves, but it just blends Uh so nicely. Now, is that what it is like to watch uh, the Pointer Sisters live on stage as well, in person? Yeah. That's what it was. We were all so different. Also, we were just, you know, each individual had an individual style, a look. That's one reason why we didn't want to dress alike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so everybody had their own little look, you know, and their style of singing. And, it was, oh, God, I miss, I, really, I miss my sister so much, you know. And I haven't, I haven't done any singing in a few years. I haven't been on tour. I stopped touring because my doctor said it was killing me. And no, I just said that's I better very take unfortunate. time and enjoy a little bit of this life before I go without being on the road. Because the road is really tough. It's really, really tough. And when you get past 65, it gets really tough. <laughs> it, gets, it gets even more uh, Oh, God, yes. It's much yeah. harder, you know. And I said, I can't. My doctor told me, you know, you really are killing yourself. I guess it got to a point where I was, I would be sick all the time, anytime I left home. Well, I sure hope I you're said. feeling a lot better these days. I am. I'm doing really good. I'm home. Working on these different projects. I finished the book, Ever, Fairy Tale. I finished Ever After Catalog. I finished the Special Things Black Americana collection. And you're on the second floor at I the wrote Hollywood a song Museum. With my sister Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this song with Bonnie, and we are just, you know, doing everything I can to promote the Pointer Sister legacy, a good legacy you for can us. Count me in too. We, are, we, we meant it. We we said yes we can yeah. and, you <laughs> and did we meant it. <laughs> I do have a interesting question for you though. Okay. Was there ever a time, and I would say probably around the eighties, when you ladies suddenly went, "Wow, we have really arrived!" Like like when you were at the height of your, uh, you know success with uh, singles and they were up the yeah. charts. Was there a moment where you were just like, "Wow, look what we're doing here." Um, uh, I guess I probably felt a little of that. I mean, I know I appreciated the success we were having in the 80s. Oh, my God, it was wonderful. 
but we, I mean, it, we didn't really have time to think about it. <laughs> we were working you just so just had to keep much. going. You was just like the next show. You got to just keep on going. And I, my, my motto was, you can always do one more show. And I just kept going, kept going, kept going, pushing, pushing, you know. And um, if you don't really have time to think about what's going on out there and, you know, the fame and all that stuff. It's just, you're just doing what you know you got to do. And, you know, I just thought of the song, Dare Me. That's oh, another one I really, really Oh, like. my God. It's a, have you seen that video? I sure have. I love it. June is so funny in that video. She cracks me up. Oh, my god. Because goodness. we're in the boxing ring. She's supposed yes. to give water to the boxer. Instead, she takes the water. <laughs> and that wasn't in the script. She did that on her own. We all just fell out when she did that. <clears throat> I'll tell you, I, I, your music videos are just so enjoyable. They, they really are. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wish they'd play them again. I watch. I love my. I want my eighties and stuff on. Yes. MTV and all that. I never see our videos on anything. Oh, that's just. I never see crazy. our videos. I never hear our songs on the radio. God, what happened? They just forgot about us. Come well, on, you know, Anita. Listening to your stories and your memories. It's just such a blessing for me. I can't even tell you how oh. grateful I am. It, you know, growing up in the 80s, if someone would have said, hey, one day you're going to have a, a, this incredible conversation with Anita Pointer, I would have said, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, you know what? You just never know what's going to happen you in life. You never know. That's so true. You never know. But oh, Anita, I was thinking, you're the story of the Pointer Sisters. Uh-huh. Does, will it end at a book, or could this become a feature film? Because in the right hands, this could be an incredible story. It could be an amazing film. We're looking for something. If there are any deals out there, call me, because I really would love to do a feature film on our, the, you know, the history and our the things we did in our career and all the all the oh god all the ups and downs and happy times and. You know, there's, there's everything there. Everything well, in my there. mind, I can Dick actually picture <laughs> this incredible, you know, moving, thrilling film. And to hear mm-hmm. so much of that music on the big screen. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if oh, it was done God. the right way? It, it could be an incredible amazing. story. Yes, it could. Well, uh, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. I did want to ask you another question about June, if you don't mind. When you think back, what did June enjoy the most about being a singer? Was it live performing? Was it in the studio? Was there anything in particular that kind of stands out in your mind when she seemed to be having the most fun as a singer? She had the most fun on stage. We all did. And there are some performances of hers. When she does, look up, Google A Tisket, A Tasket by June Pointer. Oh, my God. She was so fabulous. She, you know the song that Ella Fitzgerald did? She yes. was just so amazing. She loved, she had, I think she had a lot of fun on stage, you know. She did, she dressed up so cute because she was so little. And, uh... I think it was on stage. She loved the studio, too. We all did love the studio, because back then, the studio was so much fun. You had mm. all the musicians come in and play. It wasn't no synthesizers and Pro Tools and all that stuff. It was all live. We had the string sessions and the horn sessions, and, you know, we could go in and watch. It was just so much fun. And so June loved that, too. She really did love being in the studio, and she was so good and so fast, you know. And we she did sure all our vocal arrangements, and um, she, we all knew what to do. We never had anybody telling us what to sing. You know, we, from, from the very beginning, we did our own vocal arrangements, but we did have some guidance on the songs that we did in the, on the first album, Salt Peanuts and Cloudburst. <laughs> we took that. <laughs> we took those really serious. We had to really knuckle down on those, but it came out beautiful. And you were a part of We Are the World. Yes, yes. That was what an honor amazing. that was. That was so un- unbelievable. We had just gotten grand, uh, American Music Awards that night, and we went to the uh, studio on La Brea, and they had a big sign at the door saying, leave your ego at the door. And everybody went in, and just everybody was just so amazing. I, I was so honored to be in uh, amongst all these wonderful people that I admired so much. 
So I took my music, my sheet music, and I went all through the studio and got everybody to sign my music. <laughs> so now I have this beautiful framed piece of music in the museum at the Hollywood Museum. It's there you can go and see it. All those different things. Michael Jackson, oh, Lionel wow. Richie, Ray Charles even. And Ooh. you know, everybody. Diana Ross, Tina Turner. You know, I just got everybody's autograph that I could get. And it was just um, oh, such an amazing night. We came out of there. The sun was up for the next day. It was, we were there all night. Well, thank you for sharing that as well. And and my final question for you, Anita, mm-hmm. is looking back on your career, what are you most grateful for and what do you consider your greatest accomplishment overall? Overall, I think my one of my greatest accomplishments, I feel, is taking care of my mom and dad. Because in their old age, and you know, when dad was uh, kind of had to leave the church and and you know they didn't really have any income and Bonnie and June actually were still in high school and um we got a chance to really work hard and buy them a house in Marin County buy them a house bought them a house got mama a car that was our first goal i mean that was you know before i had a house of my own i got a house of my mother and father i bet they were absolutely yeah. thrilled they were they were so wonderful so happy and pleased and I bet they were very proud of all of you. Yes, they were proud, you know. They were really, really proud of us. And I'm just so glad we got a chance to show them what we can do and prove to them that we were serious. Because they were afraid, you know, because that music business is tough, you know, with all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know. But we, they didn't want us to get hooked on that stuff, and they really tried to protect us from that. And luckily, I made it through. You made it through. You know, yeah. You're still here. Yeah. And, and now you're sharing, you know, the, all of the memories in yes, this book. Yes. And, in this book, fairy tale. And with me Fritz today is- as well. My oh, goodness. 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 Talk about a very sentimental conversation. And I, I just, just warms my heart. Oh, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. And you please tell mm-hmm. Bonnie I said a big hello, too. I will. I'll call her right now and tell her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that I means sure a lot will. to me. And, and when I get back out to Hollywood, I'm going to go to the Hollywood Museum on the second floor. I'm going to yes. go to the second floor first. They're yes. going to be like, don't you want to look at the first floor? And I'm like, nope, I'm going to the <laughs> second floor. I'll come back to the first floor later. Later, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, uh, Anita Pointer, for all of that wonderful music. And I uh, told you off the air, so I think this is a good time for me to add this as well. When I'm out walking my dog, Sophie, and I've got my earbuds in, and I'm listening to you and your sisters, Uh I just want to break out and dance. It's just so hard not to. Oh, I love it. That is so wonderful. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 <laughs> People always I really came up to say they work out to our music. Oh, you yeah. Know? And it's yeah. great. It's great workout music. It is. I, I've got a little pep in my, in my walk with, with Sophie. And, you know, if Neutron Dance is starting, I'm like, I'm in this, like, groove walking. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the walk a little better, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does, listening to a, all of those phenomenal voices. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. And, and well, thank you so much for visiting. Feels like June. We want that out there. We want to, you know, for everyone to hear it because it's so beautiful. And it's our last, this last song. Me and Bonnie wrote it at the, the end of last year. Well, and, why don't uh, I go ahead and and add that to the conclusion of this episode? So, oh, please do. That'd it be would so be a way, my my way of just uh, showing some honor to to June and, yeah. and and the letting folks out there that maybe haven't listened to it yet have a, a, a sample of that. So I'm going to go ahead and do that for you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me so much. You are so, so welcome. I've been thinking about you. Can't help thinking about you. You're so much a part of who I am. Looking at me, I see you there. I just want so much to understand Why the flowers grow, the rivers flow The birds sing sweeter too Just because they all feel privileged To be 
Beyond podcast created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening.